So last year, uh, come Christmas, we, uh, we hosted, some of you uh, were around for this, we hosted a night called a Community Christmas on December the 10th. Uh, just to kind of let you know ahead of time, that's December the 9th this year. Uh, it's a Friday evening, but in preparation for this, we, we decided to do something. We wanted to spend some time together as a staff, so we loaded in a couple cars and we headed up to the mountains of North Carolina, and so we just started walking. We had, uh, we had called ahead and had reservations to walk a couple Christmas tree farms, and, and not just these trees, but these trees, right? And um, yeah, those kind of trees. And so we walked through some different fields and uh, we tagged our trees. And um, one of you decided that you would help us and you would take your tractor trailer up the mountain and go grab that tree for us because that's an easy thing to do, right? Um, and to go pick up and deliver the tree for us. And we then we had to get a boom truck that we had to borrow from one of you to put lights on it. I don't know how your tree gets lights on it, but that's how that tree got lights on it. Um, and it was attached to a power pole from Duke Power, who thankfully came and, and helped us with this. And so, and then we put all the lights on it so that on December the 10th, we could turn the lights on and it could look really pretty, right? Whoa, there's a good response. Thank you for that, right? But this tree, as beautiful as it is right there, it's dead. It's dead. The, the, the moment that the chainsaw went through the bottom of that, it disconnected it from the root. And even on Christmas Eve, uh, a couple weeks later, this thing had been in the ground. I mean, how pretty is that, right? And so we're out there rehearsing, getting ready for you guys to come. And, and God gives us this sunset and this beautiful tree, this beautiful decorated tree that the lights make it pretty, the, the bow and the, the, the star on the top make it pretty, and the sunset makes it beautiful, but the tree is dead. If we'd have left it out there all year and we would have just left it sitting there and we went through several storms where we couldn't even get it down because it was so windy and it's so big. And, and if we'd have left all the lights on it and put more decorations on it, if we'd have spray painted every branch on this tree so that it would look alive, trust us, we thought about it, okay? Um, and so that it would just look alive, we'd just leave the lights on it and not have to do that again. The tree, though it would be pretty and it would be decorated, it would still be what? dead. Now fast forward to June of this year. I got to travel. I'll share with you guys. I went to Moldova and on Saturday night before we started our journey back, I, I went to the director's home of the, the Baptist children's home there. And uh, they, everybody there has really nice gardens because they don't have Davidson County soil. They have good soil, okay? Um, some of you gardeners out there know that and, and they have fantastic soil. And they just throw something down the ground and it just grows, all right? And so we turned the corner, we opened the fence, we walked into her backyard and she's got apricots trees and pear trees and apple trees and cherry trees and they all have got fruit hanging on them and they're, they're absolutely gorgeous but they're, they're, they're a whole lot smaller than the tree we had outside. All right, They're not as big, they're not as grand, but they had fruit all over them. And then one step beyond that, somebody had donated and then they had purchased hundreds of trees to plant all over the property to make it more beautiful. And every night, somebody would go out there and they would take a hose and they would go from one to one to one or a bucket and they would water every one of those trees because they were rooted and they were growing and they were alive. As we walk through the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit, make no doubt about it. 
This is not us talking about hanging the fruit on you and going, well, I got love, I got patience, I got joy, I got kindness, I got self-control, but I'm dead on the inside. I'm not connected to the root. This is a, a series where we're walking through what are these qualities and why has God given us these to these and how do we carry these out in the world? But life produces the fruit, not the other way around. Life produces the fruit, not the other way around. We could, again, we could go out there, we could, we could put uh, apples on the dead tree out there back in March, right? We could put pears on it. It doesn't make it a pear tree. It doesn't make it alive because it's been separated from the root. As we walk through Galatians chapter 5, make sure you grasp and make sure you keep this in mind that all of these references are made as us being connected into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The life of that relationship produces the fruit in our lives. Alistair Begg, I love to hear him preach mainly because of his accent. No, mainly because he's fantastic and I love his accent. He said, we are not saved by fruit, but by faith, but not fruitless faith. We, we are called to be believers who, when we trust in Jesus Christ, these things grow in us. Every follower, last week we said this, every follower of Jesus Christ has the fruit of the Spirit. I'm not going to make you turn to your neighbor again, okay, and tell them that they have the fruit of the Spirit because all the ladies participate and all the guys grumble, okay? But, but every follower of Jesus Christ has the fruit of the Spirit. Some of it feels like it comes more naturally to you than others. Some people may be more patient. Some people may be kinder. And you're going, man, they just, they just, they got, they got more of a blessing of that than I did. No, we all received all the components of the fruit of the spirit. You don't get to pick. All right. I'd love to be loving, but not patient. I'd love to be a, a kind, but not gentle, right? All of it is encompassed together. And it is through the gift that we have in Jesus Christ that we gain this fruit growing deeper. We said this last week. Growing deeper in love with Jesus will inevitably bring about gospel-centered fruit. So the urgency of this summer is not for you just to go home and go, honey, I, or to your coworkers, I'm just going to love you more. No, to walk out of here and go, I want to grow in love with Jesus so that comes out of me more and more and more each day. Our ultimate pursuit as followers of Jesus is not the fruit, but in the root with Jesus Christ. Now, some of you work in factories. Some of you have retired from working in factories. You make the same thing every day, day in and day out. And you can attest to this. You make a product, you don't make fruit. Because what you're making does not have life breathing in it. Fruit comes from life and connection to something that is living. And the Apostle Paul says he wants to remind the church of Galatia, what is it connected to? It's connected to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 24, we looked at this last Sunday. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. This is this versus battle that we're talking about. It's an inward struggle that has outward impact against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, 
divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires." Paul, throughout the book of Galatians, was reminding them that here's here's where their tendency would go. And here's where ours goes as well. We want to go to the list of the do's and the don't. For them, they were entangled with this discussion about the traditions of the Old Testament, of those who were from Jewish tradition and those who were not, and the, the conflict they were having, the things that were coming in. But the flesh, they were trying to measure everything by performance. If we can measure how good we're doing in our faith, then we can, we can be better than the next person. If you do this, then this. They wanted performance. They wanted perfection. But what the Spirit shows us is that God desires transformation in you, not perfection out of you. He wants to transform you. He wants to lead you. He wants to grow you. And when we surrender our lives to Jesus, we enter into a battle, not step out of the battle, And it leads us to allow the Holy Spirit to come in our lives, to live in us, to guide us, to strengthen us, to convict us, and to pour into us. So this week, I I got a very encouraging text message from one of our church families. Um, They have been married over 50 years, okay? Um, Emily and I just hit 28, all right? So they trumped us, all right, by 22 years. Um, and uh, so super excited for, for this couple. Um, but they, they texted me to say they have challenged each other this week multiple times a day to just ask or to interject, hey, are you walking by the Spirit? Are you walking by the Spirit? Now, some of you may go, man, I'm telling you what, if my spouse or my neighbor or my friend just comes out and asks me, are you walking by the Spirit? I'm going to get really angry, right? Um, there's, a, there's a moment where we go, well, maybe I'm not walking by. But this couple said, we've been walking by the Spirit. We've been asking each other, are you walking by the Spirit? And we have been kinder and more loving to each other every day. So if they can learn that, then I definitely can continue to learn from that. What fruit, what walk of the Spirit are they talking about? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, the first element of the fruit of the Spirit that we're going to walk through, that's all we're going to walk through today, is this word, love. Now, we're going to do this through a lot of other scriptures. Some scriptures we're going to read. Some you may want to just jot down um, or take a picture of the screen so you can look them up later on. And here's where I want us to go. Uh, About seven years, we walked through the fruit of the Spirit. Um, And and since then, here's the one thing I want to do very differently um, than we did then. This walk through through the gift of the Spirit, I want us to look at God's example of these fruit in how he models these for us and challenges us, then we pour that out onto others. I don't want to start with character development and go just be more loving. No, how does God love? What is God's definition of love? How has he loved us? What has he done for us? And so a lot of what we're going to do this morning here, I want you to just kind of make sure you're paying attention with me. A lot of what we're going to do this morning, those of you who've been in church your whole life, you're going to go, I know these things. I've heard these things. I've reviewed these things. I've heard these verses before. But what I want you to do is just ask yourself as we walk through this, is this 
where I get my definition of love. Now, I could pick on the world. I could name your favorite love song that you sing to your spouse or the love song that you used to sing or the one that you, the movie that just chirs all the emotions in you. That is not what we're talking about, all right? We're talking about what is the picture of God's love for us. I want you to see a healthy picture of God's love for us before we attempt to love others. It's got to come from that love. You with me? All right, God is love. God is love. We're going to read through a passage of Scripture this morning. We're going to read, we're going to pause, we're going to read, we're going to pause. It's a long passage of Scripture. 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 21. We're not going to read all of them. We're going to read most of them. But here's what I want us to see. Let's raise our view of love out of the emotional Out of the everyday, let's put a different definition of love. God is love. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know God, who, who does not love, does not know God because God is Love. Quick pause and we'll keep on going. Love is from God, born of God, because God is love. It is simply who he is. Doesn't go without it. It is who God is. So we've got this big picture floating above us. Now this picture is going to kind of move itself down into us. Verse 9. In this, the love of God, so this love, God is love, born of God, God, God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest, came to live among us. Here it is. This love's coming down. The love sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. In what? In Christ coming down. Not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation, a payment for our sins. See, if you just let the world define love, it is murky, it is yucky, it is everything goes love, but this love starts from here. And how does it come? God is love. The love of God then became manifest. He was sent to give us life through his death. We did not love, but God loved us first. Merciful, gracious gift of the death of Jesus as a payment for your sins. So again, redefine love. Start way up here. God is love made manifest among us. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. And if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now, uh, uh, pause here, and then we're going to do a double pause, okay? So uh, I don't know what that is, but we're just going to pause twice, all right? Pause. So if God loved us, and is previously outlined in the previous verses, he does, then we ought to love one another. I've got to translate the word ought for us Southerners in the room, okay? Ought is such a weird word. It's weird to say. It's weird to spell. Um, and it kind of has all different kind of connotations. And here's how we use that, or at least how I've heard it growing up in the South, is this. Well, you ought to try that restaurant. Anybody ever say that? Anybody? All right. Well, you ought to eat that. It's really good. Or you ought to try that on the menu. Or you ought to hear him preach. Or you ought to hear this song. You ought to. All right. Now, in our culture, ought, all right, 
stick with me, ought is kind of a maybe you should. That's not the ought here, all right? In the New Testament, in the Greek, it is something that you should do out of a commitment as a response to someone else. It is raised higher than a suggestion, but it is a, a gift, an opportunity. If God loved us, you have the opportunity to, out of that love for us, to love one another. Not maybe you should give it a try next Saturday at the ball field. Maybe you should try it with your neighbor. Maybe you ought. No, this is not a restaurant recommendation. This is the love of God. He loves us. He has loved us first. And then because he's loved us, then we're to love one another. And he says something there and he just moves right along from it. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But drop down to verse 18. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he loved, first loved us. Here's where this gets challenging. When you think about it this way, and you don't think about it between a human emotion first. When you transfer it and go, God loved, God is love, he created love, he is love, he abides in love, he sent love through Jesus Christ, an example for love, perfect love, casts out fear because he first loved us. This elevates love. It takes us out of the circumstances of the day and goes, oh, well, this is love? What's love? If anyone says, verse 20, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Take it up. I didn't, I didn't write it, okay? For he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. People going all the way back to these verses here, going all the way back to verse 11, people cannot see God. Make sure you get this. People cannot see God, but they can see us. And if we claim to represent the love of God, then our love of others does one of two things. It draws people to the love of God or it pushes them away. We can't analyze that any other way. We might want to soften the blow a little bit, but we can't. It is an, it's not a, well, I'll, I'll, I'll take my pick here or I'll, you know, 50-50 here. No, if you say we love God, if I say I love God and I hate my brother, then you don't know what love is because God defined love. And what is love? Love is defined by the most ultimate gift of sacrifice, of payment for your sins. Jesus Christ died upon a cross and he loved you first. That must pour over our love. Now, why spend all this time? Why making sure you know that God is love, God defines love, God is the ultimate source of love, God is the giver of sacrificial love, and God calls us to love. Why take a 35 minutes of your week or 40, whatever it ends up being this morning, right? Why take this big chunk of my week to be reminded of things that I already know? 
Most of us know God is love. Most of us know God defines love. Many of us, if not all of us, know the story, the gospel truth of who Jesus Christ is. He's the source of love. He's the giver of love. And God calls us to love. There's nothing there that for the majority of us in this room, you're going to walk out and go, I'm glad he told me that because I didn't know it. But here's the reality. We live in a world where we are pitted against, we are versus It feels as if, maybe it's just me, that we are pitted. The desires of this world have so encamped around us that we are pitted against every person. We're pitted against every comment. You you sit, you're you're getting a haircut, and you hear somebody make a comment behind you, and there's this churning, right? Inside of you, you're going, oh, I can't believe you believe that, right? Or I can't believe you thought that was real. Or I can't believe you thought this. Or maybe it's at the coffee shop, and and you're reading something. You're sitting there reading Scripture, and all of a sudden you hear somebody talk about some book they read and some philosophy of the day, and you're going, I can't really. Are you kidding me? And there's this inward churning. Am I the only one? All right. There's this churning inside of you. And you're almost, here's the dangerous part, the world is congratulating you for being angry. Be angry. Tick everybody off. Don't worry about anybody else, right? Just make everybody mad. Make everybody angry. Be versus every single relationship that you have. Be against your family. Be against your spouse. Be against your other believers in Christ. Be against your non-believers. And this is why this is so important because this is not a new battle. Please listen to me. This is not all of a sudden we, we go, oh man, we need to talk about love because love in 2022 is much harder than it was in biblical times. Well, then why do they write about it? Because it was tough then. It was difficult because we replace this picture of love, that God is love. He has sent a sacrifice for us. He's the source of love. He's sacrificial love. He calls us to love, and we've replaced it with, I'll love you if I feel like it, if I've had a good day, and if you agree with me. There's a versus. There's a battle inside of us that has external impact. And I know I'm not the only one because I watch the news. Let me take that back. I stream the news, okay, Uh, periodically. So last week we asked this, God love, God defines love, source of love. Last week we defined this. Does my character attract people to the gospel of Jesus? So now let's take a a quick glimpse of love. We're going to keep going here in a minute, but let's, let's, let's take what we've seen so far. Does my love for people Does my love for people that I love attract people to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Let's just start with the people that you love. Does it draw them to Jesus? Does how you love them, does how you love others attract them to Jesus? Does my love for people who are my enemies attract people to the gospel of Jesus? That's a whole different ballgame, isn't it? Our ability to love others is, here's, here's where we keep coming back to. Our ability to love others is rooted in our relationship with Jesus through the sacrifice of Jesus. It's not a standalone out there on its own love. It is through a love that is rooted and connected with your relationship with Jesus. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, jumping backwards to Galatians, to Christ Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. 
You see, here's what Paul says. He says, the virtues that we have, they can't overtake the vices until we recognize that the, 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 on the cross, our flesh was crucified. Those desires have been placed upon a cross. This is, this is bold. This is deliberate on the part of God through Jesus Christ. Love, according to Scripture and referred to by Paul, is this agape love. This word in Galatians chapter 5, it is an, an agape love. It's an unconditional love. It's not based on an emotion or a feeling. Now that is clearly where the bulk of our views of love come from. It's the emotion. It's the feeling of the day. How does this impact me? How does this make me feel? How does this move me make me feel? How does this song make me feel? How does this make me feel about someone else? It is an emotion Please hear me. It is an act of will. Not your will, God's will. Love is an act of will, not a stirring of emotions. And how do we know that? Because when Jesus Christ went to the cross, it wasn't an emotion. It wasn't a feeling. It was the will of God for him to suffer and die as a payment for your sins. See, we're redefining love. We're raising the definition of love, that God is love. He sent his son for us. He made a sacrifice for us, and he placed. And so we now can raise our eyes to the view of love and say, so it's not just a feeling. It's not just an emotion. It's an act of will. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Remain in the love of Christ. Don't move past that what you know. Most of you know the message in the heart of the message of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Gospels record for us the life and the death of Jesus. Don't forget that. That was not a feel moment. That was not Jesus emoting, which is a popular word today. This was his will. And it wasn't just because the Old Testament people had been disobedient. It wasn't just because the people in the New Testament weren't getting it. It's for all who have, all who will come to him. It is for all mankind for us to recognize that the death of Jesus was for all of us. It was an act of will out of God's love. It's a high standard. The love of the cross was not a love Jesus felt in the middle of the afternoon. I think I'm going to go do this. No, it was the will of God. It was the way for us to have a relationship with Jesus. The reason I know this is so important is because feelings fade, don't they? I don't know how many of you in this room are, are, are married to your high school sweetheart. I know there's a few of you, um, but feelings change, don't they? You're like... You don't have to talk about that. It was a long time ago, all right? But when love is an emotion or an experience, here's what happens. We experience radical highs when we're emotional and relationship-altering lows. When it's just based on the emotion, we don't see any flaws, we don't see any problems, we don't see any difficulty. But when we hit the first struggle, when we hit the first conflict, the emotionally driven love will not sustain you through that in your earthly relationships. It won't. Trust me, we celebrated 28 years. I said that already, but my wife, she has willed herself to love me many, many times, right? <laughs> they didn't laugh about that in the first service. And she's not in here to say amen, okay? So, but in all of our earthly relationships, let's just look outside of marriage. We have to will ourselves to love 
people in our lives. And you say, well, I know, but that's, that's really difficult. Yes, it is. Because God is love. God sent his love. He's a sacrifice for love. Why? He willed love for you. That's the love. That's how we're taking this fruit to a different level. It's attached to our love of God through Jesus Christ. So what that means is, do we love the difficult people in our lives? Yes. Do we love the crazy people in our lives? Yes. Do we love the people that are super easy to love? Well, absolutely, pastor. That's great. A few years ago, uh, the statement was very popular. When you were talking about something difficult in life, people would say the struggle is real. The struggle to love our enemies, could there ever be more of a the struggle is real? If we're completely honest and transparent, this look of love causes us to, to dig through and look at and go, this is real. I mean, loving the people that I love that are close to me, man, that's, that's somewhat easy, but not all the time. But there's a transformation to love the unlovable but begins how? It doesn't begin by you waking up one morning and go, I think I'm going to love them today. It begins with you realizing, I was dead in my sins. I was destined for an eternity without hope but God loved me first. He loved me. He showed his love. He gave his love. He poured out his love. And now, he has called me to love. Our love for Jesus is, an outward, is outwardly expressed as we love one another. Our love for Jesus is outwardly expressed as we love one another. Now, no fears. I'm not going to try to break down every one of those verses. Those are for reference. Maybe you want to have a, uh, a quiet time in the next couple weeks or maybe spend the next month walking through those verses. You can take a picture of it, screenshot it. We'll probably post it online later on. But, but our love for Jesus is an outward expression as we love one another. How do people know that we love one another? Jesus said this in, in Matthew. He said this in Matthew 22. As he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Got it. This is the great and first commandment. I love God with all my heart. I love him with all my soul. I love him with all my mind. And the second is like, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The love of God pours out and deliberately pours out our love for one another. One of the greatest challenges for us today is also loving one another while still balancing and still taking a strong stance on biblical truth. You are, if you trust in God and you trust in Scripture, you are in opposition to the world. It's not a mystery. It's not something that you wake up tomorrow and go, oh, well, I didn't know this was an opposition to the rest of the world. You, you are. So as we proclaim Jesus on a bumper sticker, as we put it on our Facebook accounts, as you make a quick comment and work, let's be very real. Let's be transparent with each other. Let's take this, this calling, this flesh versus the spirit. Let's let this inner working change our in external impact. Our devotion to God is validated, all right? Not because of, not, not equal to, but our devotion to God is validated by our love for other people. If anyone says, I love God and hate his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he, is, he, he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, 
Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Jerry Bridges in his book, The Fruitful Life, summarizes this verse and says, to recognize or to acknowledge that there is someone that I do not love is to say to God, I do not love you enough to love that person because he loved them first. Our devotion to love God is the ultimate motivation for us in our character, our relationship with God. But now throughout the New Testament, just to say love people, it wasn't a cliche little slogan, okay? It wasn't something that the early church went, yeah, we should love people, and then they moved on. It, it, we could go back this morning, and I won't do it historically, we could go back and look around 60, 70, 80, 100 AD, and we could see historians write about these crazy people called Christians and how they loved the unlovable, how they cared for people that nobody else loved. It was the thing that set early believers apart from other sects and other cults and other groups. It set them apart. How? Because they exemplified the love of Jesus Christ through the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just a slogan. It wasn't just a, a jargon that they would just toss out. Yet, they, as we read in history, as we read in Scripture, they continued to lovingly confront people with the truth of God's Word. This is that balance. This is where we wrestle. This is that inner struggle. Jesus loved the woman at the well, yet he did not let her hide in her sinful past. He laid it right out there from the beginning. Let's bring this to the forefront. We're not going to pretend it didn't happen. We're going to confront it. The love of God is going to cover it through the sacrifice of Jesus. We're not going to hide this. Jesus loved the woman cast before him who had apparent immorality. He dealt with the religious leaders as well, but he commanded her to go and sin no more. He didn't pretend there wasn't sin before. Jesus loved the wayward tax collector while he sat at the table with them. He didn't ignore what was happening on the inside, but he also presented the truth that the truth could set them free. Shaping our community by sharing the grace of Jesus is full of love and truth. I'll be honest with you. I have no desire to jump into the latest political debate with you. Uh, it's, it's not my responsibility to, to have every opinion on everything going on in the world. What I do have a responsibility to, do, to give to you today is a complete view of the love of Jesus displayed on the cross that came out of God's love for us because God is love and that we are living and breathing in this world and we're called to love others. It never means that we vacate biblical truth and push that aside. It is through the biblical truth that we love. This does equate to loving people, to having relationships that allow us, that are real, that are honest, that are not filled with fear, that we can step into their lives and confront sin. Again, I don't think we woke up one day. Uh, you, again, read, read Scripture, read the Old Testament. We didn't wake up today in 2022 and God go, uh-oh, there's problems in the world. Uh-oh, there's immorality in the world. Uh-oh, I didn't know that that was going to happen in 2018. I didn't know that was going to happen in, in 2024. I got taken by surprise. No. In fact, these words and what we're going to look at in the fall, we're going to walk through 1 Corinthians. If you want to see that we were not the first group of people in the world to walk through immorality, we're going to see it in the fall. And it's going to just kind of peel our eyes and go, whoa, this was taking place early on. Why? Because we're sinful. 
We're broken. That hasn't changed. But the charge to them, the charge to us is the same. Love God, surrender to him, and through his love, become the loving neighbor and friend that God has called you to be. Did the early church confront sinful behaviors? Yes. Did they leave just to put the Bible on the outside and discuss only love? No, they brought it in with them. A couple things that we see from Scripture. Love gives even, even at a significant cost to itself. How do we love others then? How do we take this love from God that we've built up? How do we then do this? Love gives even at a significant cost to itself. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Lip service is worthless. Little children, let us love in not, not love in word and talk, but in deed and in truth truth. Find somebody this week that, that needs, that has a need that can be met, that you can love, but also love forgives even at a great cost. This is a requirement for us. 1 John 4, 9 through 11, in this the love of God is made manifest of us that God sent us his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. If God so loved us by offering his son as a payment for our sins, if, if God so loved us perfect and holy that he could forgive us, then there's the reality that we live in a world that desperately needs to see us model forgiveness. Love costs. Love forgives. Love looks in the middle of difficult situations and says, if God says, if I can love him, can you? If God can forgive them, why can't you? Does my love for people that I love attract people to the gospel of Jesus Christ? What love are we talking about? God is love. He's the source of love. He's a sacrifice out of love. It's not emotion. It is willed. It's full of forgiveness. It's full of sacrifice. Does my love that I have for people that I love bring people to Jesus, family members that aren't followers of Jesus? Does the way that I care and love for others, does it draw them in to, to wonder, to question? Does my love for people who are my enemies attract people to the gospel of Jesus? Now, that's a whole nother level. This is consistent with the teaching of Jesus. Does my love for people who are my enemies attract people to the gospel? Of Jesus. So I want to ask you to, to take a challenge with me this week, all right? Don't roll your eyes at me or shrug your shoulders, okay? I, I'm, I'm doing the same thing that I'm asking of you. This week, would you begin praying? Even as we're walking through our time of response here this morning, would you begin just praying a really simple prayer? Out of all these verses, kind of boiling it all down, 
to how do we take action? How do we ask God through our relationship that we're rooted to him? How do we ask God to, to then take this love among others? Let's begin praying something like this. God, you love me first. God, send someone who needs to know your love. God, help me to love as you love me. It's, just, it's not complicated. It's heavy when you really analyze it. I want to make sure that you have a proper view of God's love for you than our calling to love others the way that God has loved us. So let's just read through this together. It's not magical. There's nothing, no magic to it, but it's just a way for us to be thinking somewhat the same as we walk out of this place this morning. Let's say it together. God, you love me first. God, show me someone who needs to know your love. God, help me to love as you love me. What if all eight, nine, whatever people, 100 people there are across this campus today, what, what if we all went into our roles this afternoon, into our role as parents and grandparents and single parents and workers and volunteers here and, and servants in the community and, and coaches and, and leaders and doctors and nurses and teachers and, and, and people that work at the public pool? I mean, what, what if we should just take all those roles and we begin praying, God, remind me that you love me and how you love me. And God, would you bring somebody into my life? Help me to see, there's already somebody in my life. Help me to see someone in my life who needs to know love. And here's where it gets tough, right? Help me to love them the way that you love me. And let's pray that God does incredible things through his love, not yours, through his fruit, not yours, through his love.